Superman Forever Radio, Episode 86, Super Conversation with John M. Wilson. than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, people believe tall buildings at a single bound, the incident of ship town is now the man of steel, Superman! Hello and welcome to the Superman Forever Radio podcast. My name is Bob Fisher. Well, hi everybody and welcome to the Superman Forever Radio podcast. Just wanted to uh, say uh, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. By the time you get this, it'll be the day or two after Thanksgiving. So just wanted to say to my U.S. friends who celebrate that holiday, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good time. So, before I get into my conversation with John, I also wanted to say thanks again to the people who uh, are contacting me f- about the show, either through email at bob at supermanforever.com. That's bob at supermanforever.com. You can send me email there. Or you can contact on Facebook. We have a Facebook page now. We're getting some, some conversations there going, but mainly feedback on Facebook has been directly to me, either publicly or through private message on Facebook. But I'm glad to hear from you and nice to hear your points of view. Uh, some agree and some disagree. So that's fun. We'll get into that a little later. Most of the most recent comments, of course, have been about the episode where I was talking about Christopher Reeve and uh, some of my problems with those movies. But uh, again, I love all of those movies uh, except Superman Returns and uh, Christopher Reeve. Absolute brilliant as Superman. Just, (laughs) he was so very, very, very good. So anyway, thanks for the comments. Again, I appreciate those. And uh, Mark, Mark Lacks, you're right. I think just a little side note, quick one to you, Mark, that uh, I agree with you. I think Marlon Brando in those movies would probably have gotten more respect had his wig not looked so ridiculous. But that's, you know, maybe that's just what, what they were anyway that's last episode thanks for listening to that thanks for the comments uh, uh terrific terrific i love that and we'll talk more about christopher reeve and eventually uh, uh i'll do more of a an actual review of those movies instead of just like a an off the top of my head uh having not seen them in a while but still thanks for the feedback i love it it just is terrific gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring Superman and Batman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, the DC Comics Presents Show, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, It's Superman, the Schuster Herald Podcast, the Carousel Podcast, Superman Forever Radio, Superman Lives, Up, Up and Away, Cadmus to Crisis, a Superboy Podcast. The Armored Hero Steel, a John Henry Allen podcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Russell Brad, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Bob Fisher, Chris Moe, Mario Benessi, Drew Wintermeyer, David Byer, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So, John M. Wilson, how did this happen? It happened this way. was on Facebook, and I've been following John's little reading project. Not a little, it's a pretty massive reading project, actually. John reads more comic books than pretty much anyone I know on a regular basis. It's just staggering to me. The fact that he reads so many different comics from so many different titles, I mean, from publishers, 
He's not just DC or Marvel. He's also reading other comics, but it, it's just terrific. But anyway, I've been following his progress for quite some time. And then recently he got to, uh, his chronological reading of Superman got him to uh, Superman number 162, which is more popularly known as Superman Red, Superman Blue issue in the Silver Age version, not the 90s version, but the Silver Age version. Uh, number 162 and when he got to that he was kind of mentioning some of that and it created a little discussion on on Facebook and I and I mentioned him I said you should come on the show uh, you should come on SFR Superman Forever Radio and and uh, we'll talk about it and me thinking that will be you know weeks down the down the line there that'll take some more time be, because a little behind the scenes here it's difficult setting up these podcasts to communicate when you with a someone in different time zones in different parts of the country and in some cases different parts of the world trying to organize schedules with these things is is quite difficult so when i said uh, to john you should come on sfr and talk about your reading project he said okay how about friday <laughs> and i went oh wow Okay, cool. Let's do that. So the first the first initial attempt did fall through, but the next day or the day after, we got together and we just talked Superman and had a great, great time doing that. So we hit on a lot of different areas uh, and talked for quite a while. So uh, I'm going to let you in on that conversation and uh, we'll get to that right after this. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman. Monthly Mondays, available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. My friend, Mr. John Wilson, thank you, John, for being here today. This is great. This is this is this is fun. I'm looking forward to this. Talking about some Superman and some some comics. I'm I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You have not been podcasting a whole lot recently about Superman. Now I must tell you, folks, that uh, I first found John when he was doing a show called Golden Age Superman. That was uh, my first introduction to John Wilson. And uh, you were doing it then, a chronological podcast about the Golden Age Superman that you were reading. Yeah, uh, I had, let's see, I had read so much of the Golden Age Superman stories. Um, I started back in 2008, 2009 from Action Comics 1, just reading forward. And um, Michael Bailey had considered doing a an episode of his Views from the Longbox show talking about Golden Age Superman. So it kind of got me the mind to start going back and looking back at some of those early stories that I had read a while back. And... That ended up not happening, but the urge to go back and look at some of those stories was still there. So what I decided to do is I ended up um, starting a podcast where I began at Action Comics 1 and just kind of talked through the stories of Golden Age Superman, pulling out continuity bits and and pretending a little bit of a conceit, maybe, but pretending that it was all one continuous narrative, that, that we were seeing um, the life of Superman and Lois Lane unfold. Um, so it, it was, it was a lot of fun to see uh, his powers develop, um, to see how that character was so different back then. Cause he was, 
he was a no nonsense. Well, I didn't say no nonsense. He had a lot of fun doing what he was doing, but he he was a rough and ready justice man that if you were doing something dumb and violent and criminal, you might not live through your encounter with Superman. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Some of our uh, younger listeners may not be aware of that very fact that two planes could crash full of criminals and Superman would be quoted as saying, well, no big loss. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they had it coming. <laughs> In fact, uh, our mutual friend, Michael Bradley, was doing a Golden Age-themed Superman show uh, roughly the same time. We started almost con- we started almost simultaneously. We, there was a zeitgeist. We had a similar idea at the same time. But the two shows are totally different. And they're, you, you should listen to both of them, people. They are uh, fun, fun shows. But Michael Bradley, at one point, was actually keeping a body count <laughs> of, yeah. of all of the uh, people who died either uh, directly because of Superman or in some way indirectly. So uh, uh, It was hard, too, because um, I was doing a similar thing. I was doing a, a kill count. It became difficult. I had to limit it to personal one-on-one individual countable kills <laughs> because he would take down a dirigible full of crew and passengers. Yes. Yes. I have no idea how many people are in there. It could be 50, 80 people in that thing. No idea. No, because they were all probably all bad guys anyway. Probably. It was a, <laughs> yeah. That was a much different Superman than uh, came about not that uh, long after. And the other Superman show, which we talked about a little bit earlier uh, off the air that you did with the awesome J. David Weeder, former host and creator of this very show, Superman Forever. Yes, that J. David Weeder did a show with John Wilson called The New 52 Adventures of Superman, which uh, talked about the New 52, obviously, duh, Adventures of Superman, which uh, was also a very positive show, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, Any plans on doing more of that, John? I have one and a half episodes recorded that I need to finish up and publish. The half that's missing is the middle half. So I have like the first half of one that I haven't finished going through, and then I have a whole other roundtable panel discussion for the 52nd episode about the new 52. Um, so I have various podcasters talking there with me about that. And I need to get those out the door. Um, but yeah, I've I've done 50 episodes of the new 52 Adventures of Superman, 45 of which are with uh, Dave. Uh, the first handful of which are also with a third guy we had along for the ride at the beginning named Michael Kaiser, mm. uh, who is who is a great podcaster, but who has sadly hung up the microphone because of life, the universe, and everything. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just whenever... I really like looking at continuity nitpicks. And... And so whenever the new 52 started, I really wanted to keep track of, okay, what is the new story of Superman? What is the new continuity? What are things like? And I, I, I first started doing it as a blog, but that, I don't know, it was too much work. Yes. So <laughs> writing stuff down is hard. It is, right? <laughs> yeah. So instead, I, it's, it's easier for me to talk about stuff than it is for me to write about it. So I got some uh, some friends together. I'd worked with Dave on other things. I knew Michael Kaiser from other things. And and um, we decided to do the new 52 Adventures of Superman and just kind of talk through the various books. And we made it through um, the end of the Grant Morrison run on Action Comics, talking about all the super books along the way, of course. But right. that's as far as we got. And um, that was a series that I was so gratified to feel like I had my brain wrapped around at the end of its run. Um, Cause Grant Morrison can be a bit out there. Yeah. And, and yet I felt like I understood what he had done and I was able to enjoy it for what it was. And that was the capper um, on our run on that show until I decided to bring it back. And then my revival of it didn't last as long as it should have done. Mm. Well, since you've gotten 50 of them out, 
you need to get at least two more before you yeah. before you <laughs> hang it up, so that the new Fifty Two Adventures of Superman will have at least fifty two episodes. That would be good. Yes. Well, uh, I actually liked the Grant Morrison. While we're on that for a second here, I actually liked that uh, uh, that opening, that start for the first time in a long time. Even though, I. I yeah, I was really torn because I really did not want them to start renumbering Action Comics. I did not want a volume two of Action Comics. Uh, right. I wanted to be around when Action Comics number 1000 came out. Mm, yeah. And I remember even telling my wife when I left the comic shop with number 900 that I, you know, I have a shot at being around here, you know, for 1000. And uh, I'm not sure now that we're, they've eliminated three years off of that <clears throat> plus, so. That's and 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 I heard that somebody said they might do something special when wherever they are reaches what would be the number one thousandth issue. Kind of like they did for Detective uh nine hundred. Nine hundred, yeah. But that's that's really not the same. No, it's not. It's not the same. Well, one of the things that attracted me to the the Grant Morrison run of action when it was first starting up was that he was reviving a lot of the golden age themes. Yeah, and um, silver and silver age. He did end up doing a lot of the silver age stuff too, but they were they were when they were when they were first selling the idea, they were like, you know, he's going back to the early days of right. Superman and we're going to use what Superman was in the early days. And you figure just just to just to show what kind of reversal the world has gone through, at one point they editors were saying they needed to soften up Superman and make him more of a goody two shoes like Batman was. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's just a different kind of world. But but that was what I was looking forward to seeing us. And I, I think that that was actually the rags uh, the the job that Rags Morales wanted, mm-hmm. and it quickly became something else. I don't think Morales was entirely happy with how what how uh, how his Superman job turned out. Well, they but, left the t-shirt and jeans guy, I think really quickly. They got him out of the jeans and t-shirt uh, into the uh, armor suit pretty quickly. I don't think that needed to happen. They, they needed to have him in, in that early look for longer. I mean, in, sure, Morrison's storyline was going to jump into the modern day pretty quickly, but I don't know. Anytime they do a storyline that flashes back to that era and you see him with the, the t-shirt and jeans, I get excited. That was my Halloween costume this year was t-shirt and jeans. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm with you on this, though. I thought, uh, and for the first time in at least a couple of years anyway, like I said, I had been out of reading the comics and then I started reading them. And I didn't hate the world of Krypton's story. It wasn't that I hated it, but everything they were doing with Kal-El and the Krypton story they could have done in his own books (laughs) you know that was the part that irritated me I'm finally getting back in and as soon as I'm into it again he's not in action or Superman anymore it's Mon-El it's Nightwing and Flamebird and not even the real Nightwing and Flamebird I'm sounding really old now (laughs) well I just actually uh not to segue us too early because we, we don't have to go there yet, but I've just recently been read a Nightwing and Flamebird story from, from Jimmy Olsen's series. Yeah. yeah. The real thing, which is where we're going after this really next thing that I want to talk about is because I would feel uh, totally remiss if I didn't mention, even though it's not a Superman podcast, uh, your terrific show that you do with your daughter, Lily. Tell us, tell us what that show is. Uh, that's really nice of you to say. Um, okay, so about, oh, I don't know. This is 2014, summer 2013. Um, I asked my daughter, Lily, who was 11 at the time, if she would be a podcast co-host with me because I figure, you know, she she has a lot of feelings, she has a lot of thoughts, and she's getting old enough where she can, she can uh, express those to a microphone and be, you know, be entertaining. I knew she'd be entertaining, but you know, be coherent, you know, just present herself well. So, um, I had no idea just how awesome she was going to be at it. But what we're doing is, um, the conceit is that if a character is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we are going to talk about the comics that that character is from. 
So we started with Tales to Astonish 27 with the earliest first Ant-Man storyline before there really was a new Marvel superhero line. And we did the first Incredible Hulk series. We've been doing uh, Ant-Man's and Thor's journey um, (laughs) into mystery and astonishing things. Um, From the beginning, we have picked up Iron Man and Doctor Strange as their series debuted. And right at the end of the year, we should be coming upon the Avengers number one, where those characters finally all come together into a team. So it's it's been fun. She is a great co-host. Um, she kind of wishes that we weren't doing Sergeant Fury. Mm. but um, <laughs> Can understand that. But she's a trooper for that as well. So it's it's just been lots of fun. Well, it's a great, great show. Uh, I know you just have to be just, you know, a proud, proud papa. Lily is absolutely terrific. I mean, she will tell you exactly what she thinks. She backs it up. It's uh, it's a real treat. It's a fun listen uh, when you hear this little tiny voice saying these really wonderful things about really old comic books. It's, it's just a terrific listen. So, uh, and occasionally a guest appearance from your other, uh, uh, little child. You have a boy also who is, uh, uh, I guess he might be taking part in helping you with your, uh, reading thing that we're getting ready to talk about. Right. Yeah. Cause, uh, Keenan is five years old and you know what? The silver age was made for kids. Yes. And and we're adults and we enjoy them and it's great. But the Silver Age was made for kids. I'll I'll tell you, I tried to read Golden Age stories to him, and we got through a lot of them. But I'll tell you, he just got really bored so much of the time. Mm. And because a lot of so many of those plots are just taking down random politicians or or right. random crime bosses, and and you know there's insurance fraud. It can be the plot line a lot of times. <laughs> I know. Or, yeah. Or 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 cheating person uh, cheating somebody out of their life insurance policy or something, and that's just that's not quite where the imagination of a five year old likes to go. No, no. So he uh, he has been reading um, for bedtime stories. We we've been reading together a lot of the early uh, I say early a lot of the Silver Age Superman stories that I've been reading. I read to him, and he Wonderful. he loves them. Wonderful. Well, now that we're here, this reading project of yours is, um, well, it's quite amazing. It, you started at the beginning. Well, go ahead, tell them what you're doing with this, because I have hinted enough about it, but you are in right now getting in, as we mentioned, you're coming up in comics that are in the middle of 1963. And these are all DC comics. Yeah. Um, it started out as an effort to, to read every Superman comic. And it's, it takes a while to do that because there are a whole heck of a lot of them out there. A lot of um, Superman comics out there, yes. But I have made it through all of the golden. And, and if you want to call it the atomic age, that's sort of, I don't know, the 50s were right. a weird time for, for all comics, and including Superman. But you come out in the latter part of the 50s, those last couple of years, 57, 58, 59, and things are starting to change in the way that writers are approaching Superman stories. Um, they start to think about, oh, well, what about Krypton? What about Jor-El? What about what Superman's life might have been like? What was his what was his dad or his mom? Mainly his dad. Laura gets kind of short shrifted in the Superman mythos. Yeah. But what was his dad like before Krypton blew up? And you get these storylines starting to get explored. And that was all actually happening, starting to happen for probably a year before the traditional Fortress of Solitude first appearance that, you know, be, so quote unquote begins the Silver Age. Right. Um, probably a, a year of Superman stories before that are worth reading to see how it really got off the ground. But I have made it through all of that and currently in the middle of 1963, right at the 25th anniversary of the character. And I tell you, <laughs> this is the best year of Superman that I have read in the entire project. It is amazing stuff. And well, I'm having a ball reading. So it. glad to hear you say that. I am, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was 11 in 1963 during the 25th anniversary. Now, when I say 25th anniversary, uh, they really only did one or two things that they actually stamped 
uh, silver or had anything to do with actually promoting it as the 25th anniversary. One of them was the uh, Silver Age Giant, an 80-page giant Superman annual that they did that had a silver uh, bust, like an Emmy on the front of it with Superman. I, I might even venture to say that was the only thing that actually got stamped 25th anniversary on it was that annual. I think so, too. And there may have been a thing they put uh, uh, an ad for that in the uh, Batman and Superman comics. So I have a giant. I have a Batman giant that also has an ad for the Silver Age comic in it, that that particular giant. But for me to hear you say this kind of stuff about 1963 just being so far uh, really kick, kicking in. Because uh, to me, this was the heyday. This is one of the things why I wanted to to uh, bring you on and talk about. And I want people to understand what you just said here. You have read so far in the last few years, I think you started this, what, three, four, five years ago? 2000, uh, yeah, 2008, 2009, somewhere okay. in there. Somewhere in there. You started with basically Action Comics number one. And started reading chronologically forward, go. Now, that's something that really only could be done in modern age. That's not something in the 60s that someone could have said, you know, I think I want to read all of the 1940 comic books. Well, you couldn't do that unless you, you know, were very fortunate and still had a bunch of them. You couldn't just walk out and buy. You couldn't go to a comic shop or an auction or you couldn't get the material to do that. But now, because of the age I think we're living in, you have access to all of those comics. And Mm -hmm. to be able to read every Superman comic from 1938 up to so far 1963 as part of a reading project is just mind-boggling. And that uh, that's not just saying just Superman. So it's been action comics. It's been Superman comics. It's been Justice League, right? Yeah, the uh, the Justice Society uh, run, which he was rarely in, but I, I read it because it had other characters I liked in it. Okay, World's um, the Justice, Justice League, World's Finest Comics. Uh, when you get into the oh, – well, you have in 1944, Superboy debuts first in More Fun Comics, and mm-hmm. then in, he moves over to Adventure Comics whenever More Fun loses all costume characters. <laughs> and um, – Superboy starts up in 1949, I want to say. Yes, 49, right. 1954, because of the success of the character on the uh, live-action show, you get Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. 1957, maybe, you get Showcase uh, presents Lois Lane, and then she gets her own title, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. And so by the time you get to 1960, there are seven books that feature an S-Shield to one degree or another. Um, and and it's, it's quite the lineup uh, of storylines. And also you have Supergirl has been introduced by then, so she doesn't have her own title. But Action Comics for – you know, the, the first 20 years of its run, Superman was just one feature among many. Right. It's a lot of people until... don't understand that, that Action Comics was what they called an anthology book for a long time, where it would have one Superman story, but you would also get, uh, you might have a Green Arrow story, an Aquaman story, a, a Zatanna. Actually, it was Zatara, her father. Zatara. Zatara yeah. was, was, the, was the one. And, and it's, uh, Supergirl starting up in that was the first time that that book was solely devoted to super characters. Right. And I think one of the interesting things uh, that took place in the Silver Age, and people think this didn't happen until later in the Silver Age or even into the Bronze Age, where a story would continue from one issue to the next to the next to the next and build up sometimes a four or five part uh, story and I'm talking about what was then the back issue of action the backstory the supergirl story in action comics throughout a lot of the silver age superman would have the front story and the backstory would be uh, an 8 or uh, 10 page supergirl story which carried its continuity from one issue to the next, to the next, to the next. And we're talking about early 60s that they were doing that. And uh, that didn't really take place on a large scale, even at Marvel Comics, until much later. Right. In fact, the the classic cover of Supergirl getting uh, 
um, debuted. I was going to say exposed, but that's not right. <laughs> right. Supergirl, you know, having her debut to the world public, that was actually the culmination of, I believe I counted nine issues mm. of the storyline being sometimes to a lesser degree, sometimes to a greater degree, but dependent upon the issue before. And it starts out with, you know, Superman wants to show Supergirl off to the world. He thinks that she's definitely proven herself and and they're ready to go. And wouldn't you know it, she loses her powers. And she <laughs> loses her powers. And so she, if she's not Supergirl, there's no reason to show off to the world anymore. And that starts um, a storyline that goes on for nine months. And finally, the ninth chapter of that is her debut to the world in the, in the pages of Action Comics. Oh, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was, it was a 1962 issue. And uh, and yeah, it was um, it was amazing to 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 see how that storylines were being woven back in the early 60s because there's so much that we like to say well marvel did this because they were so big in the early 60s and right. well i say early mid, more mid 60s but um but dc really did do a lot of that stuff before anybody else yeah i think so too um the but uh, i'm a, i'm a little prejudiced one of the things though and i'll have to admit this in uh, at current time in 1963 when i was reading these stories I would kind of skim through the Supergirl stories uh, because I wasn't a big fan of uh, Mr. Mooney's artwork. Uh, I am, you know, I am a Kurt Swan, Wayne Boring kind of guy. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and it wasn't really his figures or his storytelling, but I really didn't like the way he drew the S. And, okay. And it always took my eye uh, there. For some reason, it was just like, ooh. Because it was like he put that little square loop at the top and then the line at the bottom. It was a very um, angular S and it didn't didn't seem very smooth. Even when he drew it on Superman, I didn't care for it. Uh, well, the I, angular S is all the rage nowadays. I know. Now it's all the rage. And I still have a problem with her costume today. <laughs> <laughs> Things don't change, do they? Oh, me. That's so funny. At this time period... Uh, I think this was really funny because you're reading the the letter columns. You're reading uh, practically every word uh, in every one of these comics. And with the benefit of hindsight and age, you're seeing things build that obviously as an 11-year-old, as an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old at the time, I wasn't seeing any of this stuff happen, you know, uh, when when I took when I saw the the silver the giant eighty page giant silver anniversary issue on the on the uh, uh, comic stand, that's the first that I knew. Hey, oh yeah, twenty five years, cool. You know, it, it they didn't build it. It wasn't like they said, see next issue, and you know uh, they didn't do anything like they did last time. It was just bang. Oh, twenty five years, cool. Uh, it was more pleased that wow another 80 page giant we loved those 80 page giants Those yeah were very and, and, special. and they were they were a, a relatively new thing they're they were calling them annuals even though they were coming out <laughs> twice a year <laughs> right <laughs> right but superman had them batman had them lois lane had a couple flash even had one flash had them yeah and they were just they were they were opportunities to reprint older stories because dc knew that their readership a large majority of it turned over within a handful of years. Yes. Well, they and, were still under the philosophy that comics were for kids and that they just outgrew them every six years and you had a whole bunch of new people there. Which may be true to an extent, but they get letters from really longtime fans. I was reading an issue of Metal Men to my boy today, and after he went to bed, I read the letters column. And there's a guy writing in. He was 41 years old reading Metal Men number two in 1963. <laughs> and he said he had been reading comics ever since the first issue of All American. Wow. Which would have put it 1940. Wow. So he was reading for a long time, but you have readers that are like that. And so well, I know my uncle uh, read them all the time, but now he, he was really into the, the, what my mother would call funny books. Actually, my mother called them all funny books, but my uncle actually read funny books, Mutt and Jeff, uh, mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of, uh, uh, 
you know, the, the, the funny books and Popeye, he liked Popeye and three stooges and, you know, that kind of stuff. But it was his trunk that had all of these golden age comics in it, which is what I found. Uh, my first comic that I ever read was Superman number 43 from, uh, 1946. So okay. that was my first, I didn't know that, that, uh, uh, there was a comic book. I knew George Reeves, the TV show every afternoon when I was a little kid. Okay. Yeah. So we're at my cousins, uh, visiting my cousins in Manio, North Carolina. And I was telling him, and I was a little kid. I was probably four years old at the time. And I said, uh, wow, there's the show and it's four o'clock. Let's go watch Superman. And he said, they didn't get it at four o'clock there in Manio. And he said, oh, but you like Superman. Well, he took me out to the barn. We went into the barn and there was this big old trunk in there and he opened the trunk and there was several dozen old comic books and one right on top was Superman number 43. And he said, here, here's Superman. I couldn't even read. Took it to my mother and she read it to me and I still have that comic. Wow. That's the comic I learned to read on. So My first comics were the, um, they was printed in the, the later part of the 70s. It was a three- paperback set that between them reprinted the first 20 issues of amazing spider-man oh wonderful so, so um, you were a kid when you started reading comic books i was i was a kid i got out of it for a while but i was a kid when i started and i was happy to come back to it mm -hmm. but um reading old comics is just the way i grew up <laughs> right 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 <laughs> uh you're reading from the beginning and right now and i think what what we were talking about a, uh, last week or a few days ago. You had just gotten to uh, Superman number 162. Yes. And uh, a little discussion started online about it. That, Superman Red, Superman Blue. Superman Red, Superman Blue. That um, is one of the more iconic Superman comics of all time. And I think it helps maintain that status for modern audiences because they did the storyline of the 90s that really doesn't have anything to do with the original story, but it kind of riffs on the idea of a red and a blue Superman. Right. So modern audiences are familiar with the story now through that. And also, if you ever got, you know, the greatest Superman stories ever told, if you were a Superman fan in the 80s and you got that book, then you then you know the story as well. So it's, it's an all-time classic Superman story. And um, it is one of those that I consider an unofficial 25th anniversary celebration story. Because basically, it takes the Silver Age and brings it to an all-happy ending where Superman... Um, I forget now the impetus of why he wanted to do it. He was trying to solve some problem. Oh, you know, I know what it was. Candor was giving him crap. Yes. There you Candor go. Candor was giving exactly. Superman crap because he made promises to, to restore Candor's size, to stop all crime, and to, to find a cure for kryptonite. There was even a it, funny panel with those bullet points on the wall, and there's a, a, a screen next to it where, uh, like, the head guy of Candor the council or whatever is giving Superman all kinds of crap because he hadn't uh, achieved those, those goals. And another funny part is that uh, after this conversation, Superman walks over to his own fortress of solitude wall. And he's like, yeah, I knew about these three promises. I got them right here on the wall to remind me. And I still haven't done them. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was great. That's just great. So he decides to double his mental capacity by doubling himself. Yes. And two heads are better than one, so why not? And he duplicates himself, and one of the Supermen comes out with a red costume, and one of the Supermen comes out with a blue costume. Now, was it actually his plan to double himself or to double his brain power? And that, yes. and that it was an accident because of all the different kryptonite involved. The way he was going to double his brain power. Yes, because he, yeah, he strapped his brain up to this kryptonite. Who's he, what's this? Yeah, multi-colored like multi kryptonite. I think it was all of them were in there, probably except gold. But all of the, there was blue and red and green and white kryptonite. And he puts it on his head. There's this explosion of him screaming and there's an explosion and then two smiling Superman come bouncing out of the smoke, one in a blue costume, one in a red costume. <laughs> it's wonderful. So, so really, it becomes an 
excuse to have not an excuse but a, a storytelling device to have superman accomplish all the things he was ever supposed to do he found a way to embiggen candor he uh he found a way to eradicate crime and evil and this is the somewhat um uh questionable aspect of the plot <laughs> because what he does is he, is he makes like a, an evil eliminator ray that that sprays all over earth and basically takes away all evil impulses from everyone so <laughs> yeah yeah there was some Luth- discussion about that wasn't there yeah yeah luthor <laughs> goes good because superman has printed a ray on him that has changed his brain right um and whenever one of the cliffhangers because storytelling in those days was to have multi-part stories that would end on a dramatic note. One of the cliffhangers was that Supergirl lets out the Phantom Zone villains and Superman's like, Oh no, did my anti-evil Ray actually make her evil? But turns (laughs) out she's letting them out so that they can enjoy the fruits of his labor and no longer be evil. Right. And live on the planet Krypton two or wherever. I forgot what he called the, he found new another planet. Yeah, new Krypton, where he found another planet <clears throat> for the enlarged Krypton citizens to then live. That was actually a pretty fun page, two page or so. When uh, while they still had their superpowers, all the Krypton Kryptonians recreated things like the Crystal Mountains and you know landmarks of Krypton. Um, but now we get to the end of this story, uh, and it, this is something interesting because uh, a lot of people consider whatever happened to the man of tomorrow as uh, a, a good fitting end to the silver slash bronze age uh, Superman. I don't know about the good fitting part. I know people say it's an end, but it's an end. Yeah. discussion well, about exactly how much of an well, end should it be. <laughs> see, I've heard a lot of people say how, how much they love that, that story. And it's one of those things where me trying to be positive, I go, well, it is a Superman story. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I actually have not read it yet. Oh, and, okay. Um, I'll tell you that I I am aware of a lot of what goes on in the story, but I told myself, you know what? You're not going to read that story until you've read everything before it. Until you get there. Good. I think that's wonderful. That's I mean, there's, there's other stuff I'll read out of order. I'm not completely devoted to reading everything in order, but that story, that story. I'm not going to read until I've read everything else. Right. Uh, and then we'll come back and talk about that because uh, <laughs> uh, what else though in your reading now? Because you're in '63, the middle of '63, the silver anniversary, the 25th year of right. Superman comics. Um, well, I, th- I think the first story that felt like an unofficial celebration was the day Mon Paul Kent died, mm-hmm. as which which came out in an issue of Superman. Mm-hmm. And it had the an until untold tale right. emblem on it, where you could sort of take things out of order. It was, it, it, you had three kinds of stories. You had standard fare, you had imaginary stories, and you had untold tales, which would which would play with the timeline. Right. So this was an untold tale of Superman when he was younger, and it's 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 the story of how Ma and Pa Kent died, and um. It's nothing too um, fantastic or elaborate. They contract a virus from a tropical island, and Superboy can't save them. Right. And um, the drama comes in from him trying to save them. He even tries to send them to the Phantom Zone, but something goes wrong with the projector, or it's maybe because they're not Kryptonians, I don't know. But he, they only go halfway phased, and it doesn't work. And for part of the story, he even thinks that it's his fault that they're dying because um, – he took them to the island where they got the disease. And so if he hadn't done that, then they would be alive. But it turns out there's an explanation of why that's not entirely the case at the end. So for a while, though, you have a very Marvel guilt-ridden complex kind of story going on there with Super – I guess he's Superboy at the time. Superboy at the time, right. Um, and so that was, to me, the first you know, unofficial 25th anniversary after 25 years of Superman comics – of his parents being dead, you finally find the story of how that happened. And uh, and it was a really, really neat thing to write. I was reading to my boy, and he knew they were going to die, but he told me the whole time, he said, I'm really, really scared for Ma and Pa Kent. Mm. So it was, he was really caught up in the drama. And um, interestingly, they eventually did some sort of retcon or, or storyline where Superboy, like, juvenated 
his parents. Yeah, yeah. They they uh, he kind of brought him back. Uh, and so whenever whenever this story is reprinted, now you might actually get instead of white haired Mon Pa Kent, you might get um, brunette Mon yes. Pa Kent. Yes, with brown hair and young looking, svelte, young looking, healthy. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was weird. Uh, in fact, most people who will um, know Superman, maybe from the Chris Reeve movies or from modern times, will think that the Kents uh, and and Clark grew up on a farm. Well, he was really only on the farm until he was about 12. At about 13 in this, quote, Silver Age and when Superboy comics, uh, the Kents sold the farm and bought a general store in Smallville. And the Kents then kind of lived in the suburbs in a little you know, white picket fence housing, you know, your little leave it to beaver type neighborhood. And Lana Lang was his neighbor. So it wasn't the farm and she was in the next farm. She was literally the next door neighbor in a suburban leave it to beaver type um, environment. And they had the general store. Uh, uh, I loved those stories. And I think that one of the important things, if you're going to have the Kent's dead as there's an adult Superman with no Kents. Um, I think you need a Superboy or a, uh, some sort of a comic, whether it's part of Superman or part of Superboy or whatever that explains him growing up and where he got the influence of the Kents. I think the Kents are incredibly important to the upbringing and to the myth and to the, to the eventual Superman that we will get. And um, I think they opened the door again. I think Grant Morrison opened the door again for them to have exactly that kind of a scenario, even without the costume. He doesn't need to have the full costume to be a young, super-powered young boy learning his powers and, and getting the wisdom of the Kents. And whether they put him on a farm or in a general store in Smallville doesn't matter. But if you're not going to have the Kents uh, with the adult Superman, you need to somehow show how they affected that adult Superman. And they've only partially done that, I think, in the New 52. And that's why I liked Superboy comics as a kid, because uh, there was no adult. There were no adult Kents, no living Kents when the adult Superman of the Silver Age, they were dead. But we had the Superboy stories to show all of those learning and mistakes and the problems of being a boy with superpowers. Although, to be honest, in a lot of those stories, the Kents were more of a comic foil than anything else. I, I, I think that, and, and of course, this is probably not true for you because you've been around in reading comics for longer than this, but I think for a lot of modern readers, the idea of the Kents being a moral focus for him or, or a training ground for him is really informed by the Smallville TV show. Right. Which is very much a Superboy TV show. Yes, without the costume, but it is a Superboy TV show. Yeah. Especially in its early years. Yeah. Not sure how um, you felt about it. No, I, I actually... For a lot of its run, I didn't know a whole lot about Superman. Mm -hmm. And its treatment of certain characters is what would inspire me to do some research and some Wikipedia reading about those characters. Because whenever whenever they brought up Brainiac, right. I really didn't know much of what a Brainiac was. Right, and that was a different Brainiac than right. even the New 52 Brainiac or even the Brainiac of the comics at the time or the Brainiac that I grew up with. <laughs> he is one of those characters that had had so many changes to him. So yeah. changes, and a lot of them have been actually pretty good. I think the Superman animated series did a decent job with Brainiac, uh, making him part of Krypton. Although that's not, you know, that's not my favorite version, but right. it, it's it's a tolerable version. Another um, another story that I've read recently was Action Comics three hundred which if anything should have 25th anniversary slapped on it, the twin, the, the, the two, uh, what, how do I want to say this? The 25 years of 12 months a year, consecutive monthly Superman stories, that issue 300 of action comics should have screened 25th anniversary. However, 
it has an amazing cover to stand in place of the big 25. And so what you have is Superman under a red sun. Yeah. And it's, it's not a dream, not a hoax. He is captured and trapped under a red sun. What happens is he pursues the Superman revenge squad, which is this uh, band of alien criminals. Um, he pursues them into the future and they go so far into the future, a million years into the future that the yellow sun has turned red Superman no longer has superpowers and they leave him there and go back to the present. <laughs> it really is a good story. It's an amazing, <laughs> yeah. surreal trip yeah. because it's like you have this, this future world of dangers and, and, and surreality that is kind of hard to imagine, but, but it's, it's told so well. Um, and he's able to find eventually he's able to find a way uh, back because a lot of the things that were in his fortress or just enough of the things were in his fortress for him to be able to use to to finagle a way back to the present day. But it was it, it was an amazing um, uh, artwork on the cover and a great journey through a world without a Superman. And I think that that should have said. 25th anniversary on it. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a pretty solid story. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, mistaken, which is a possibility, uh, wasn't that an Edmund Hamilton story? I was thinking the same thing as I was talking. I'm pretty sure that was Edmund Hamilton. Uh, he was a science fiction novelist who had a job with DC for a while writing comics. And he wrote a lot of your Legion stories from that era. He wrote a lot of really, imaginative storylines and not imaginative in a silver age. Um, we're going to try something crazy this month because we, we like to do, you know, in, interesting stories, right? but like really, really interesting sci-fi, sci-fi stories. This is what I think um, just, I, I was not the kind of kid who, and especially since they didn't really put the credits on the comics at the time. So in 1963, as a kid, we had no idea who was writing or drawing these comics. I knew by looking, I would say, that's my favorite art. I love the way this guy looks better than this guy. But who right. wrote the story? I had no idea. I didn't even realize at the time, didn't even occur to me at the time, that there would be more than one person even doing it. You know, I assume maybe the guy who draws it also wrote it it never occurred to me um but then now doing the podcast and i've been looking up a lot of old comics and rereading a lot of comics both with you and uh with your daily updates go putting them up, i'm going oh god i gotta read that one again too and <laughs> with you and billy uh hogan you know the two of you guys have just made uh oh yeah those silver age comics i need to go back and read those so my tablet has it's just full of Silver Age comics again, which is just thrilling. But um, I'm looking back because now when you do a podcast now and, and you know, I'm, I actually I, shh, I actually do a little research sometimes. Uh-oh. Yeah. Shh. It makes it hard. It does, man. I'm telling you. Got to remember names and stuff. But I kept thinking, wow, I really love that story. Who wrote that one? Edmund Hamilton. Hmm. Wow, this is a great story. Who? Edmund Hamilton. It's like this guy's name just keeps popping up and popping up and popping up. And uh, I was on Michael Bradley's show, asked me to on his show, Superman and Batman, and we were going to talk about the composite Superman. So I'm doing my research. I look it up and I go, oh, you're kidding. Edmund Hamilton again. So during this time period, between 1959, he was doing, um, oh, and, and in fact, him working with Kurt Swan uh, was not, first time was not on a Superman title, but on a Tommy Tomorrow title, where oh. in action, I think it was Action Comics, one of the backup strips was Tommy Tomorrow. Yeah, it was Action Comics. And uh, Kurt Swan, before he was the regular Superman artist, he was doing some covers, but he Wayne Boring and Al Plastino and some of those guys were still doing the regular, you know, the interiors on the regular comics. But in the backup story, there was Kurt Swan doing Tommy Tomorrow, and I look up the story, and guess what? Written by Edmund Hamilton. And I'm like, oh, really? No wonder. Some of the good sci-fi stories of this time period in both Superman action, some of the crazy Batman stories that people nowadays make fun of, 
But some of those, when you really read them, you go, forget it's Batman. Read it as a sci-fi story. It's a terrific story. And you think, who wrote? Ah, Edmund Hamilton. So uh, I think he did 288 stories for DC Comics in uh, about seven or eight years, between late 50s and mid 60s. Wow. Yeah, a lot. So, He's but prolific. Edmund Hamilton. But uh, so I'm glad that at least you, as a as a kid, you were not uh, apparently dissuaded or discouraged from reading them, were you? No, no. I mean, this is uh, whenever I was a kid. This is 1984, 85. Mm-hmm. I, I, whether it's actually true or because I made up the number once and I just always thought it was true, I I, I tell myself <laughs> I got those uh, Spider Man books when I was six years old. And if that's the case, we're talking 1985. Okay, good. So the the comic scare, I think is very much a thing of the past yeah, that's, by over, that that's over by then they weren't even paying attention to the comics code authority by then no dc was just getting ready for a new reboot yeah and i was completely oblivious to all that i just enjoyed my spider-man comics and it, it's weird when you when you don't have the industry um as just when you don't know the rules all right because those those collections, they would refer to other Spider-Man stories. Like there, there's I don't know how much Spider-Man you know, but um, he and the Human Torch have a meeting place on top of the Empire State Building, and they first met there in a Torch storyline that Spider-Man guest starred in, and that story was not in my compilation because it was in the Torch's comic Strange Tales Annual Number Two, and uh, but it references back to it because there's one part where Spider-Man's missing and the Torch is trying to find him, so he puts the big old fiery words in the sky. I meet us at our usual meeting place and he's waiting up on top of the empire state building asterisk you know just like the torch and spidey met in strange tales annual number two so i didn't know what a strange tales annual was right i don't know why it wasn't in my spider-man comic <laughs> but um i eventually figured out that there were you know missing stories or whatever and um i had to figure out the rules on my own mm-hmm. um turns out that's not a good story, but right. <laughs> <aside> the point. <laughs> right. uh, it was my holy grail of comics for so long. And I finally read it. And I'm like, Oh wow. That was not worth it at all. Yeah. <laughs> I think those are great. Those are, those are um, great stories. Well, how did you come to Superman? Okay. So this is going to sound egotistical. I had so little respect for DC as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know a whole lot about them. Well, to you, me, Marvel was... You started with Marvel. Yeah, Marvel was everything. That's Marvel it. was king. Yeah. And I honestly, in my head, DC was like the the little comics company who could. <laughs> you know, they were out there. They were putting out their Superman and everything else. And that's mm-hmm. great. And look at how cute they are over there still doing their old characters. Okay, so... Um, Fast forward, you know, a good 15 years. I've left comics for my teenage years. The Iron Man movie comes out, and I'm like, huh, I never read any Iron Man comics. So I'm going to go back get back into comics. So I start reading Iron Man, and that reignites my interest in, in characters like Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. And I realized that, like you said earlier, in the age we're living in, these comics are all very readily accessible. So I started reading everything, and I thought, you know, I should give something at DC a try. <laughs> Which characters should I read? Well, I read a lot of Batman when I was a kid. I don't really want to do Batman. So, um, you know, he's an alien. He always has a cool sci-fi element to him. I want to know more about Superman. So late 2008, um, I started reading from the beginning, mm-hmm. Action Comics number one, because as a kid, I had had the Superman archives. So right. I knew those early stories. And I started there reading forward. And also... A short time after I started doing that, I wanted to get something more modern as well and doing a little bit of research. 2008, 2009, if you wanted to start reading Superman, um, that was still the post-crisis era. Barely. And, you know, Infinite Crisis had done some things to the character, but an argument could be made that that was still the post-crisis Superman um, and so I decided to start with Man of Steel number one and start reading that as well. So I've had these two Superman reading projects going on for years of reading from the beginning and from the reboot. And about five minutes after I started reading Man of Steel um, and, you know, had, had had a few, maybe a year's worth of modernish Superman under my belt, 
uh, I came across the From Crisis to Crisis podcast, mm-hmm. which was also just getting off the ground. Right. They had two or three episodes out whenever I found them. So they were getting the inklings through the podcast around the same time that I was getting the inklings to read that era of Superman. And so it, it was it was purely a let's check out this character because he kind of seems cool uh, from an adult perspective. I had seen the films as a kid, but I didn't really get into him. Um, oh, you know what I did really dig as a kid was the Armageddon 2001 storyline. Oh, and yeah. It's so like all these futures of Superman without really knowing Superman himself. Right. And I read the death trade. So I had this, you know, supporting cast of Superman without knowing any of the context. Right. Why did Supergirl turn into a purple blob when she got hit by Doomsday? I didn't know. Right. Why did Lex Luthor have red hair and a beard? I didn't know. Um, but now, of course, I've read all those stories. I know everything that's going on there. <laughs> and, and I just... I've fallen in love with the character. I think, you know, he is a character who has had so many changes and so many alterations to the cosmetics Mm -hmm. and to the dressing around him. But whether he um, is feeling a bit more rough with the criminals or a bit more um, can do no wrong Boy Scout-ish, it's it's a character that has lasted for a really long time, and I really enjoy. I have not yet found a version of Superman that I don't like. Um, if I had to point at one that I enjoyed the least, it's probably the 1950s era of Superman, where the creative juices. I just I don't know. They they if they were flowing, they weren't flowing my way. Um, is just before the the imagination surge and the of the silver age started up. Right before the real, uh, what other people call the craziness of the '60s, or the silver yeah. age kicked in. Right. Well, that is a weird time between the, uh, uh, say between nineteen, I don't know, nineteen fifty and nineteen fifty six or so, fifty seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very weird time for Superman, and then. Um, but it all started to just turn into uh, trying to keep Lois from finding out he's Superman. Yeah, and there was a lot of sameness, really, yeah. to yeah. a lot of it. Uh, just just variations on a theme. And one might argue that, you know, having a whole lot of red kryptonite stories tends to turn into variations on a theme. And that's fine, but it's a theme that I enjoy more. Right, I enjoy the red kryptonite ones too. And I think that's one place where the current DC continuity has has suffered a bit is because you've done some really interesting things with Superman um, on paper, but I don't think they've been necessarily telling the compelling stories that the character warrants. Yeah, I think so and, too. And I think, do you think that might be editorial? Do you think the editors aren't driving it enough? I don't know. If, if if there even is a blame to be placed somewhere because I mean creative juice the the commercial art field is such a weird beast you have to be creative but you also want to do stuff that's going to sell and so the, you know a lot of times there are things that are done um, in marketing that people tend to, to to blame stories for whenever marketing is not the story and the story is not the marketing um, a non-Superman example of that would be like uh, Alan Scott being gay. Right. Well, if you if you if you hadn't heard that announcement and you just read the story, that's a story. But it gets you know mentioned in passing at Comic Con and all the media runs with it, and suddenly it's like, oh, DC's making this big deal about a gay character. Right. No, no, they the writers told a story, and the marketing people are telling you the story is there. Yes, but but I don't know where I was going with that. But anyways, DC has not yet found. Um, they're 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 getting better. Mm-hmm. Superman, Wonder Woman is there. Greg Pox Action Comics is there. Um, Ramita and Johns are not as awesome as I wanted them to be, but they're doing something decent over with Superman. Yeah, I like their story. I think Ramita could use a little work in Superman's face. Well, in, in fact, yeah. all of his faces. But um, but. I don't mind his figures. I don't mind the overall look of Ramita doing Superman. It's an interesting look. It just hadn't wowed me yet. You know, it hadn't said, oh, this is the great John Ramita Jr. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Because I, when I heard he was coming over to Superman, not being a Marvel guy, uh, but what I did do last year. Okay, this is me back into the studio, breaking in here. I'm cutting it. I'm making an executive decision. 
we're coming up on an hour. And uh, instead of trying to cram this whole interview in, because I do want you to hear this, I think John says some really terrific things, as you can hear, and this, con as you've heard already, and the conversation does go on for a while, and I don't want to cram it all in, so uh, I've decided to cut it into two parts. So sometime within the next week, um, early December, so we are, like I said, a day or two after Thanksgiving here when you probably have access to this one. So sometime um, a week after that, early December, first week in December, will be part two of uh, this great conversation I had with John Wilson. Hope you've enjoyed it. Until then, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Send me some email, bob at supermanforever.com. Thanks a lot, people. Superman is based on the original character appearing in Superman magazines and action comics. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Superman is copyright DC Comics.